autistic people with quality of life and opportunity. You're listening to the Autism CRC podcast. This is the Autism at Work speaker series featuring pre-recorded audio captured during the live Autism at Work virtual summit event held in March 2023. Hear from over 40 local and international speakers, panelists and presenters, including neurodivergent employees and employers, as they discuss the important topics affecting autistic people at work. You can also watch this series on the Autism CRC YouTube channel. Due to the live nature of the following recording, you will hear occasional interruptions to one speaker's audio due to a poor internet connection. Well, welcome back everyone after a lunch break. It's great to see you all back to the Autism at Work virtual summit. And I'm your host for the majority of sessions over the next couple of days, Orion Kelly, that autistic guy. If you're wondering who I am. So obviously I'm an autistic guy. I have a, a YouTube channel, uh, which it's uh, in the last uh, hour or so is just past 48,000 subscribers. So that's, uh, that's an amazing achievement for a solely autistic focused YouTube channel. I do podcasts, got a new book out. And uh, I do whatever I can to help the autistic community. So it's great to have you along. If you want to reach out, feel free to reach out on all the channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, and, and my website. Now, we are going on with another panel discussion. It'll be our human resources panel. So we uh, obviously uh, have a uh, fantastic lineup of HR professionals, uh, time will tell, uh, which have a strong commitment to building diversity and equality in their respective roles. Uh, we've heard about the importance of executive sponsorship for such programs and what is also critical is aligning the HR practices with such vision. Our panel discussion session will be moderated today by Rhonda Brighton Hall, of Rhonda Brighton Hall, uh, the CEO of MOI, making work absolutely human. Now, before I hand over to Rhonda, I'd like to let you know that you have the opportunity to submit questions as always. So throughout the session, if something pops up and you want to ask that question, get the panelists to talk about it, just submit that question by typing it in the Q&A pane. You can access the Q&A pane by clicking on the Q&A tab on the right-hand side of the screen. Now, other people's questions will appear there as well. If you don't want to come up with your own, you think theirs is pretty good, you can just uh, you know give it a like. Basically, you upvote it by clicking on the arrow beside it. After we have a chat before the end of the session, uh, Rhonda and uh, the panelists will answer as many questions as they can. Uh, we won't be able to get through all of them probably, but we'll definitely do our best. All right, so let's get to this panel discussion. Take it away, our moderator, Rhonda. Thank you very much, Orion. I really appreciate it. Orion, sorry, we just went through the how to pronounce that correctly, so let me do that first. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, coming to you from Kamarabigal land over here in Sydney. And absolutely delighted to be facilitating today's panel discussion with HR experts. We have three exceptional panelists to join us today. I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction to each of them. So we have Ashley Mackay. So Ashley is a people and culture leader with a twist. She doesn't have a HR background or HR qualifications and spent the first 14 years of her life working in Korea in tech as a user experience professional with a background in industrial design, researching human behavior for products, services, and experience. Was diagnosed with autistic as autistic late as an adult at the age of 29 and changed careers in 21, seeking greater meaning in her work and a desire to craft inclusive and supportive workplace experiences for all. The workplace is a human construct that has been intentionally designed and it can be refined and shaped into a new and more human ways for the future. 
who combined UX experience in research, design, and also in public and private sector backgrounds, gives her a very unique perspective, enabling her to take a human-centered approach to the employee value proposition at all stages of the candidate and employee life cycle and working life. Ashley lives in Canberra with her husband, Chris, and three cats named Wednesday, Teddy, and Lola. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Nice, nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. Second panellist I'd love to introduce is Samantha Garbett, and a Chief People Officer for ASA, and she leads people and impact team to support other people or support her team, our people, through our talent development initiatives. In 2023, our team is focused on building the capability of our team to exceed customer expectations and reach their own potential. My leadership style allows me to balance both the operational side and the people side when working with my team across departments and departments head, and I'm able to offer a hands-on approach when needed whilst creating and leading a supportive work environment. Welcome, Samantha. Thanks, Rhonda. Nice to be here. Great. And the third panellist, equally well qualified, is Jess Caden. And so Jess is a people-centric and engaging leader with a passion for HR and is an autistic advocate which who drives inclusion and diversity, has seen her pioneer and develop programs across public, non-profit and private sectors. She's also a mum of two and an avid reader. She's a certified HR fellow, as am I. Welcome. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad you've done those qualifications. They're actually very cool holds a Master's of Human Resource Management and a Bachelor of Arts, majoring public relations and change management. She's Vice President of the Human Resource Institute in Victoria and a founding member of Hacking HR's Global Experts Council. She's a member of the National Accreditation Committee that oversees HR standards and the accreditation of HR courses in Australia. In 2023, in 2022, Jess was a finalist for HR Leader of the Year and in 2023 was named as a Human Resource Director Hot List, which is a very illustrious list of HR professionals. Thank you for joining us, Jess. So that's our panel for today. And what we'd like to do is sort of get really um, gritty. When you have a really great panel, the good thing about that is you can ask hard questions and see how that works out. Um, and so we want to understand that when we're talking about this whole area of employment, making workplaces work better for all of us, um, you're talking about the context of a need for systems change. You're not talking about programmatic employ two people and applaud them and put them on the front page of the newsletter, although that's lovely. It's not enough. And so the deeply experienced panel that we've got here today have taken that whole ambition, challenge, whatever the right word for that, and looked at both the big picture and the detail of what's required to make a genuine difference and actually make a big difference to how people work and whether they can thrive at work. Now, we've set up a bunch of questions before we get to the audience questions, which just gives you a bit of a lay of the land of what these experts know and the sorts of suggestions that they would make. And so let's start by leaping straight in. I'm going to direct this question to you, Ashley. What matters most right now in the HR space? Thanks, Rhonda. That's a great question. And um, my response is going to tell you a lot about where I'm coming from in today's discussion as just one autistic person from an incredibly diverse community. Um, and to be clear, what I'm about to say is, is not a criticism. It's, it's an observation that I share with the utmost respect and, and optimism for where we can progress things to. Um, so when I first saw the description for this panel, um, the thing that jumped out at me the most is that we're still saying the management of autistic talent. Now, autistic people exist at all levels of all organisations, just like our non-autistic peers, but we're so often broadly thought of as someone to be managed, 
someone who is not in a leadership role. And it's something that I see and hear all the time and enjoy breaking. <laughs> and I, I also think, but I think it serves as a curious observation of where um, current practices are in their evolution journey. So with that in mind, I would say um, a positive neuroaffirming mindset is what matters most right now in the HR space in relation to autism at work. To have the right impact, we need to approach this from a place of genuine allyship. We, we live in a world where there is more than one way to own a brain, um, but our environments don't always reflect that diversity and autistic people thrive when they're genuinely empowered to be their full authentic selves on their own terms. So instead of with this mindset, instead of saying things like, well, how might we support or value our autistic colleagues in our existing environments? We should consider things like, how might we make our workplaces more accessible? How might we broaden our EVP to reach more neurotypes? And how might we evolve this concept of coming to work to being more reflective of what it means to be human? Thank you. Thank you. That's a, a great answer. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for reframing it because I think we sometimes think of programmatic employment mm -hmm. versus a career and a working life, which is a much more important concept. Um, yeah. Samantha, did you want to add anything to that first question? Um, I very much second what, what Ashley has, has put forward there. And I, I think for, for HR professionals uh, widely, there hasn't been a better time with, with COVID. So we're out of the, the depths of COVID, um, you know, how hard it was, particularly in, in the States, in, in Melbourne, uh, of, of Victoria, this is a great time to reset because organisations are more focused on their people, realising how important they are. There's been the great resignation. Um, so now is the time to go, how can we do it differently rather than falling subject to this is the way we've always done it? Yeah, thank you. Um, Jess, did you want to add something too? Oh, only to say that, that I certainly agree that often we do see autism employment approaches taking quite a paternalistic approach with a view of, as Ashley said, a, you know, a non-autistic manager and an autistic employee. Mm -hmm. um, so completely changing that and, you know, on, on board with breaking some stereotypes yeah. and myths there. Autistic people can be CEOs, you can be leaders, and uh, they are, whether they're out about it or not, they are out there as CEOs and uh, looking at how you can support the person as a whole person um in the workforce and all that goes around that yeah cool um Jess if we could stay with you what are the biggest challenges being faced yeah it's a really good it's a really good question because um one of the challenges that I am seeing in organizations is a uh, you know they want to do the thing they want to employ autistic people so they go out and they say hey guys who's autistic tell us if you're autistic mm -hmm. and it might not actually be a safe environment for people to disclose in those circumstances. So one of the challenge is that before you launch into doing anything, making sure that you've got the right safety processes in place, that, you know, managers are trained in how to deal with, um, you know, disclosures, support disclosures, um, and that there's a level of safety for yours is very, very real. It is even just, you know, 12 to 18 months with how autism is perceived and with, you know, positive, more positive portrayals in the media, but there's still a long way to go. So educating leaders, managers, staff about what autism is and what it isn't and the diversity that it can present and creating that supportive environment for disclosures. 
um, because we, we we know, um, you know, from research that uh, Amaze had done that only a quarter of autistic employees are actually disclosing in the workplace. So for those who are representing, you know, organisations here, you have a lot more autistic employees than you're aware of. Um, so, you know, th this is something which everyone needs to work on and work on together. Yeah, I think that that is a that's a changing tide too, isn't it? There's sort of a different set of conversations coming through now. Um, Ashley, did you want to add to the challenges list? Yeah, well, just first of all, I'd love to absolutely echo that comment made about psychological safety and how it really does need to be this ongoing thing because it, the relationship will evolve over time and it, it needs to always be there. And um, disclosure is absolutely the gift that keeps on giving. We're always coming out um, every day, every time a new person comes in and it can get a bit exhausting. So um, it is. It, there is, I guess, a bit of emotional labour on the autistic staff as well that that I feel because um, I sort of I live in two worlds kind of like I'm the autistic employee but I'm also the the HR leader so um, I guess I can see that a challenge that I face in both of those lenses is that constant education and constant um, disclosure and and the the emotional labor and, and finding ways to to minimize that and share that load but in an inclusive way that doesn't dilute that authentic voice. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think there's an, a real acknowledgement now that they're asking um, anyone who's diverse to tell their story again and again and again. It's like <laughs> another job. <laughs> so you get a bit, it gets a bit old. Yeah. Um, Samantha, let's go to you with a third question. What does great look like? like? We've heard a little bit about the challenges and where it's up to right now. What does great look like? Uh, great, I believe, looks like where autistic, employ autistic employees are being afforded the opportunity for career. Uh, not just a job um, or a programmatic job. Now, I, I fully acknowledge that sometimes the programmatic job or the program comes first. Um, at ASA, you know, 80% of our team are neurodiverse, namely autistic. Um, and we're proud to say that's from our entry-level jobs through to, to our um, high-level leadership. But then the question comes, well, you know, ideally to be a whole of organisation support for, for autistic employees. And then people ask, well, what does support look like? Um, and it, it's a range. Um, I think the, the main thing is not to make assumptions and asking people, but you know, our experience shows it can be understanding that people learn differently and accommodating, um, that speaking out in front of everyone is not always comfortable, whether it's on video or in person, or that you know, feeling safe to ask questions is such a big thing. Now, in saying these things, it also brings to my attention that these are not huge adjustments to be made. And so there are really accessible things that can be done in day-to-day -day practice by every leader in every organisation that can make it better than it currently is for autistic employees and, and others. Thank you. Um, can you build on that, Jess? Anything that you would add about what great looks like? Have you seen someone doing something really that is great? Yeah, I think for something to be great, for work great, you have to get the combination right between having HR framework systems and, and then also on the ground. I've seen pockets of good in organisations where, you know, one's in place um, and then you've got, you know, a team which is fantastic to accommodate from the bottom up and from the top down as well. Yeah, so the heavy lifting is shared across the organisation, not just from people in a category or something like that. Um Ashley, can we go back to you? If that's what yep. great 
could look like that it is about careers it's not about assumptions it's about letting people thrive their way um what are the gaps is 34,000 people in the HR profession in Australia what's the gaps in current practice so education and understanding around autism in general is a bit of a journey and and I, I would I would say that in HR we have we have actually come a, a reasonable way, which is really exciting so far. Language in particular is becoming beautifully inclusive, which is just wonderful to see. And the gaps that I'm seeing are what I view as the next step in the education journey and moving well beyond awareness and into a more mature understanding and practice of authentic acceptance. I've got some examples. Um, so practicing the concept of radical self-acceptance knowing the difference between the social and medical models of disability, um, understanding the need for individualised approaches, recognising the harm of masking and making it safe for us to be ourselves. Um, one that I find is really important is understanding that autism is a dynamic difference with support needs that fluctuate. You know, I might be able to do something really, really well the next day, but the, well, one day, but I'm, I can't do it the next day. Or, or I might be able to do something that no one else can do. But guess what? I've got a to-do list that to remind me to clean my teeth. <laughs> So it's very much, you know, it fluctuates. It's 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 very dynamic and it's, um, you know, you just kind of just have to roll with it. Um, and, and lastly, of course, um, reducing that emotional labour burden on autistic people when you're growing your, your understanding. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, any gaps that you'd add, Samantha? I think a gap we currently see is um, within HR practice, there still seems to be a focus on qualifications um, rather than looking at transferable skills and particularly amongst our team you know when they're employed with us we notice that some have completed a degree um, but many haven't and they, they tried but the system wasn't supportive in the way they needed it to be but by focusing on those transferable skills uh, you tap into the strengths but you also as an organization open yourself up to so many more people in a, in a, a world where there's a war on talent so there's a whole talent pool waiting for everyone, which is very, you know, it has so many autistic individuals within it waiting to share with you their superpower. So that focus on transferable skills, I see that's where we could really move forward next in, in HR and particularly recruitment. Yeah, I think that that's been an area of lots and lots of change, hasn't it? But still an awfully long way to go. I and mean, even on this panel, you can see the difference between Ashley has come at this field from a totally different angle versus Jessica has come from the more traditional qualifications into it. And both can have a massive impact into the way we think about the work to be done, do the work, um, get the results. So I think there's there's sort of a growing acceptance that qualifications aren't the only answer in the old resume. Um, Jessica, to go back to you, talk about intersectionality, because it's not just a, we're not one box and that's it. Um, we're sort of a lot of different things for each of us. How do you how do you approach the conversation about intersectionality with autism? Yeah, thanks. Uh, intersectionality is something which HR teams are concerning themselves with more broadly. You know, the traditional diversity and uh, inclusion approach had, you know, you had certain streams mm -hmm. and, you know, people were allocated into those streams and those streams had supports. But what we know is, for instance, um, that, you know, autistic staff may well have co-occurring mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. You know, people might also be from diverse cultures which have their own understanding of autism as well. 
So I think that the approach, again, I always do top down and bottom up, is that you need your systems and frameworks which support a wide range of diversity, but then you on the ground, you also need to look at the person and assess them as a person um, with their unique circumstances and having the understanding. Um, I, I know my, my fellow panellists have, you know, spoken about the strides which the HR profession has taken, um, but I, I would actually say that we are, you know, only tip of the iceberg in that almost all HR processes from recruitment, induction, you know, performance management, even through to discipline processes are entirely designed around a neurotypical experience of work and the workplace and present really significant barriers and often even discrimination against autistic employees. There is, you know, an increasing level of awareness amongst HR professionals, um, the net translating that awareness into action of what does it mean when you've got an autistic uh, employee who's not doing so well in their role? You know, what does that mean? What do you do that there's a huge capability gap gap mm -hmm. there? Uh, yeah. Which, you know, you, you can overcome some of it by training and that's where intersectionality comes into it as well and that if you've got a HR professional who has, you know, a trauma-informed approach, if they've got good understanding of perhaps some cultural factors, uh, then they're going to be better equipped to support that person at, as a person. Yeah, yeah that's, they're great answers to that. Thank you. Um, Samantha, do you want to add anything to that? intersectionality discussion it's a and I, I hope this kind of topic becomes um, more and more discussed I think if we look at ourselves also we are also at the intersection of many different aspects whether it be gender whether it be ethnicity um divert you know disability whatever so it's considering mm -hmm. I think if we relate it back to ourselves and go we're at an intersection so why wouldn't anyone else be um and I think that just kind of normalizes it a bit more rather than, oh, someone's not only autistic, but they have a co-occurring mental health challenge. Let's consider widely that we're all experiencing intersectionality and how can we support that and keeping that open mind as, as Jess referred to. Yeah, I think, um, do you think that, that this sort of understanding is increasing? Like Jess mentioned that, you know, this is something that HR people are more concerned about. Do you think it's a more, a more mature or a rapidly maturing conversation that we do understand that everybody's multi-level diverse as opposed to we're in a box. Um, so do you think that's sort of becoming a more common understanding that we all live at the intersections to use your expression, which I love? There's evidence there is. I was at an International Women's Day event and they wanted to talk about the intersection of not only gender but other diversities. And there was discussions actually around how do we support and encourage our neurodiverse colleagues um, so there is rumblings about it. There's discussion about it at high profile events. Um, so I, I believe it is heading that way. Yeah, it's heading in the right direction. Well, that's good news. Um, Samantha, champions, how important are champions? And when we get a really good champion or a really good ally, um, what, what, what is a great champion or a great ally and what difference do they make? Champions are critical um, to the inclusion and belonging of autistic employees at work. Um, it's not champions are not just HR professionals. They're not the diverse, just the diversity inclusion manager. They are people within the organisation, managers, um, you know, even some of the entry level staff who support that inclusion, the programs, the hiring, 
um, for ASA at Australian Spatial Analytics early on when we were very young, trying to land one of our first big clients. Um, we engaged with the largest Australian and New Zealand telecommunications company. We had the um, excitements, but they had to then find a champion who led a team that would actually interact with our team and help us along that journey. Um, and they did. And he not only said, team, we're going to do this and we're going to try and do it really well. You know, two years on, they're our second biggest client. We've got a partnership. We're working with multiple teams, not just that one. And our team has been enabled to expand to 15. So there, you know, you need more than just one person. It's that ripple, even in a small way, but it all makes a difference. Yeah, so every single person makes a difference. Um, Ashley, across mm -hmm. to the importance of champions and allies, would you add anything into that? Um, I, no, I, I think I think Samantha covered it really, really well. Yeah. So let's let's stay with you then and go across to employee yeah. resource groups. How important That's are they to have um, affinity or people who are both? Yeah, it's a very good question, and um, it. It depends, I think, is what is where I'm going with this. So I've served on employee resource groups or ERGs. I've led them at both local and national levels on both sides of my diagnosis. And I'm at a stage now where I have mixed feelings about them. Um, so first of all, I never, ever, ever want to stop or discourage anyone from supporting a community that they really care about. These groups offer fantastic professional development opportunities as well um, to build up leadership skills at all levels of employment. That's what I did when I was a junior. Um, but I also feel that the work that often falls to these committees is essential to the employee experience. And I think that dedicated <coughs> employee roles should be invested in to perform this work and it should not be farmed out to volunteers over and above their main roles. And to have a genuine impact, it is a lot of work, work that should be valued and remunerated fairly. So um, I guess looking at both sides, I'm, I think there could be a middle ground here. Organisations absolutely need to invest in this capability while still empowering those that wish to get involved, but it needs to be done in a way that's fair. Yeah, we do see EIGs. It's like you get so much enthusiasm because lived experience, but equally people want to make things better, so they leap in, but you do see a lot of fatigue because it's like a second job on the side, isn't it? So it can yeah. be a great affinity where you learn and share experiences, but it can be very tough. Um, yeah. Samantha, we've got some great questions coming in from the audience. So I just want to ask one last question before we go to that. Um, one great idea that you've seen make a difference in creating and promoting and fostering inclusion in the workplace for autistic employees. I'm going to ask everyone the same question, but I'm starting with you, Samantha. Okay, um, and I do apologise if my internet connection has been dodgy. I've tried to change that. Um, look, with a, with a genuinely human-centred approach, you'll have processes that are driven by policies that are inherently inclusive, not mm -hmm. just autistic employees, um, and then that's going to make a big difference. And that can include, for example, involving your uh, more entry-level roles in the interviews of your senior managers. That's something we do. That's something any organisation could do. That really makes a difference to people feeling empowered, their voice feeling heard, and it contributes immensely to their professional development when they're in those situations and on the other side of the table next time. That's a really great example. Thank you. Um, Jess, do you have an example of something you've seen make a difference in creating, promoting and fostering inclusion? 
Yep. So it's not something which I would say is innovative because it is becoming more common practice. But the number one thing that I've seen make it is a redesign your recruitment process. Um, because if your recruitment process is set up in such a way where the barrier is too high for autistic people to come into the organisation, then it's it's game over. Um, and the recruitment process can easily be redesigned by things like even moving away from a interview-based approach, as Tom talked about earlier, about through things like creative in candidates, um, you know, providing a high level of data simple to do with focus on practical assessments um, because that's the, that's the biggest barrier. If autistic employees can't get in the door, then um, you, you can't progress any further. Yeah, cool. So you've got it. You can't just say, yes, we're very inclusive and then look around, you all don't look inclusive. <laughs> you look like the same. <laughs> um, Ashley, last to you. Yeah, so um, when I worked in UX, we used to say design for your edge cases so-called edge cases. Um, And what that means is often when you design for the smallest group of, sorry, the smallest group of people who have needs, those needs often end up benefiting the entire group. (laughs) So things things that you might think, oh, it only affects a handful of people, that's okay. But if you solve that problem, you may find that that actually solves the problem for the much broader group. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's something I've always kind of stuck with. Those three ideas together are pretty awesome. Yeah. Like if you've got one that's got to go and go out to be creative and do different things to get people right up into, as you suggested, Samantha, into senior recruitment and things like that they wouldn't normally be involved with, across to the really systemic changes of redesigning recruitment as per Jess. And then I love that expression design for the edge cases because we're probably all on one day or another in the edge cases. So that's right. <laughs> it would be included, wouldn't it? Um, I've got some great questions that are on the on the uh, list coming in from the audience. So just having a quick look at that. Um, it's a question for Jess. Um, how is that HR be- that has become a space that's allowed you to flourish, given how difficult it is to get through a workplace without being targeted by HR? So it's quite a loaded question. Obviously, someone's had a bad experience with HR. So how did you get through that to go on to become a bit of an ambassador? Uh, I think we've lost Jess momentarily, so we'll just wait and see when she's coming back. There's a, there's actually another question here. While we're waiting for Jess to come back, I'm just going to jump into it because it, it's sort of at the gritty end of the questions, and I think that that's not a bad place to be. Otherwise, it becomes very you know, rainbows mm-hmm. and cupcakes. And we really need to be talking about the stuff that's harder, so let's go there. Um, um, it's someone who said that they're working for a really large company. They appear to be almost utopian in their approach to people on the autis- who are autistic. Um, but it's understanding and value of neurodiverse or neurodivergent, sorry, and autistic employees is pretty limited um, and they're quite unsupportive and rejecting contribution at many levels. How can they speed up um, an inclusive culture? What's the sorts of things that an employee can do and what do they need to be also giving HR? So maybe two parts. What could an employee do themselves to speed that up? And equally, what what do they need to be giving HR to get HR involved in that in a in a constructive way, not a investigative way? Do you want to start with that, Ashley? Yeah, it's a really complex one because without knowing, I guess, how safe this person feels in their environment, and without knowing, I guess, like what kind of tools might be at their disposal, um, whether they'll need to do it on a more sort of covert kind of way, whether it involves sort of I guess building up a few allies or or if they are fully safe to be 
their full self. Um, it, it's hard. It's it's a, it's a tricky one to answer. It's it's very very complex. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I think I just need a little bit more time to sort of mull that one over. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is right up there with world peace. I I give you that, but it's one that comes up a lot, doesn't it? So yeah, it does. Samantha, do Absolutely. you want to jump? In? Um, I think, uh, you know, both parties, both the um, employee and HR, both have an agenda. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but HR, this HR professional maybe has a, a things they want to achieve and competing priorities and the individual wants to express their views and input, uh, which is probably incredibly valuable in a certain way as well. And so what I probably encourage both parties to do is um, for the HR to 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 sort of get more understanding of what the individuals want is is to ask. Let's not assume we know what supports individuals want. And there's many ways to do that. Um, you know, we won't go into the tools. And equally for the individual, if they can, and hopefully they feel safe to do this, approach the HR individual and say, "How can I help you to yeah. support neurodiverse employees within this organisation?" Um, and that individual, because if someone asked that of me, I'd probably say, well, that's a great question. I'd like to know more about X, Y, and Z. And there's an opportunity there for that individual with others to express um, what, what they've been wanting to. That's, that's really cool. Can I go to another question, which I think is another really good one for both of you until we get Jess back. I'm, I noticed she's can't see her just yet. Um, from a HR perspective, how can HR shift from an assessment based on qualifications, i.e. standard resumes, to assessing talents and other transferable skills, as you mentioned earlier, Samantha? Do you want to start with Samantha? That's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, so for us, um, we do um, employ individuals without experience, without qualifications. So it's, I guess, mechanically easier to do it for your junior roles. And if that's the case, take advantage of that. And it's not to say that that individual couldn't gain a qualification during their time with the organisation in a way that's both supportive and relevant to the work. So I guess that's a, an opportunity. But beyond that, I think it's for HR to speak to the executives or other organisations. So what's the outcome you're looking for? Are you looking for a person who's just good at their job but has a terrible attitude or are you looking for this? And if you're looking for someone who's got the attitude and can bring the outcomes and hit those, I don't know, KPIs that you've been wanting to hit for, for years, what are you willing to let go about the way we've always done it? And I think yeah. it's that kind of curious questioning that can lead you to opening people's minds. And it may not happen in one conversation. It may take many. You may have to show some data where it's worked in other organisations. But you know, starting that conversation. Yeah. The second part of that, Ashley, I'll throw to you with that, is they say well, if you're an employee and you've got some really cool skills that don't necessarily make the requirements for a resume, how do you get them noticed? How do you put them in front of an, a potential employer and show that you're more than just a degree or whatever it happens to be? Yeah, so it's it's an amazing question. Um, and I do feel very uh, privileged here at Parbury because I think it's something it just uh, so trans transferable skills are something we do really really well and and I think it, it all comes down to the mindset of, of our our culture and and our leaders um our approach is very much around um primarily hiring for values match and and having a really open mind about 
you know, what a person could do and, and where those um, sort of deal breakers are. And often the deal breaker for us is behavioural, um, not necessarily because we know skills can be taught, we know qualifications can be obtained. So um, my thinking around, like, if you were trying to sort of prove to an employer that, you know, you've got transferable skills, I mean, there's one way to, I mean, you could consider framing framing it that way in your CV, but ultimately I also think you should consider finding an employer that shares your mindset find an employer that already understands that intersection, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm getting tangling up my words. Um, find an employer that already thinks transferable skills are the coolest thing ever. Like I'm a walking example of it. <laughs> like I was hired because I had the mindset and the vision to create a beautiful, welcoming culture. Um, and I think it's, and, and I got this role because I, I broadened my networks and I met amazing people. I met people who shared my values and we just decided we wanted to do cool work together. Um, so that, that's that's how I would recommend approaching it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I love your stories too. They, they, they're an awesome examples of it, like real life stuff that always makes you love it. It's good to see you back, Jess. Um, I, hopefully you can hear as well um there is a, a question here which i think is there's a couple of the same version of a question so let me go and i'm going to pass this one to you jess is um how do you sort of deal with the fact that um people will be hired um because they're autistic and they have great work ethic or they work very hard or they've got a particular skill set that everybody loves but then they're laid off or let go because of other behavioral issues that may come under the same sort of underneath the autistic area as well and so the example would be they're laid off when they don't show enough emotion or they're not showing um, sufficient um, passion or whatever I think there's a couple of different descriptions for it here they're not expressive enough um, okay. how do you bridge that and it's I know it sounds pretty wacky it's but nice. someone working in an employer that's saying can you be more expressive so <laughs> what's, okay. a, what's a good way to bridge that we've brought you in it's because not we uncommon. Love <laughs> yeah go yeah. ahead Jess sorry yeah, it's, uh, it's not uncommon, um, unfortunately. And sorry, everyone, about the unstable internet connection. I'm glad that I'm back in now. Um, so it's unfortunately not very uh, not uncommon. Um, you know, the situation you've just outlined, someone comes into the organisation, they've got amazing, have challenges, and the organisation accepts the strengths but does accept and support one of the things that I find helpful is having really clear conversation and what is expected, because it might be, you know, for instance, a core part of my role is building relationships. And hey, I might build relationships a bit differently to how someone else does, but as long as I achieve the same outcome, then it's okay if I do it differently. And unfortunately, just many managers and many organisations aren't at the stage of maturity yet of focusing mm -hmm. on outcomes. Um, rather than on how people do it. So uh, I, I can kind of give advice to managers in that situation, which is a focus on your outcomes and give uh, employees the autonomy and the support to do it in the way which is right for them um, and works for them. For an employee, I'd say if you're in that situation uh, yourself and your manager's not a you do things or providing you the support that you need then um look there are avenues where you can you know seek to talk to the manager seek to talk to hr um but ultimately you know you may look to move to a more inclusive workplace um that is going to provide that 
that support. And hopefully over the next, you know, 10 years, the proportion of organisations that do provide that support who take the challenges and see you as a whole person and support you are going to get easier. But for anyone who's on the call today who's been in that position, I've been in that position. Um, be really heartbreaking so I really really feel for you and um, you know in encourage that there are workplaces out there there are managers out there who will uh, see the joy of everything that you bring and um, a way that that you deserve to be supported yeah thank you that's a very lovely optimistic note to land on too so thank you um, a simple question it might be a simple one um, adjustments uh, do you need to making different adjustments for autistic women versus autistic men Anyone have an opinion on that one? Depends on the individual. Make make adjustments based on what the individual needs. Yep. So yep. the don't assume, ask. Yeah, I think that's a really good yep. answer because there has been a let's put them in another box, the intersection box, women and autism. Um, the another question I think is quite interesting is the current one. I just said this last week as well about it's difficult to sometimes get an autism diagnosis and what sort of support should a person expect when they go to HR and say, hey, look, I don't have a diagnosis. I don't really know what to do. Mm. And what should they be expecting from HR? Do you want to grab that one, Ashley? Yeah, it's a really good point because there, even in the autism community, there's a lot of debate around whether or not self-diagnosis is valid. Um, and, and I think from an inclusion perspective, I fully support it. Um, I think it is valid because um, there are a lot of barriers to getting a diagnosis. It's, it takes a long time and it's really expensive. Mine costs over $1,000. It's ridiculous. Um, and it's a barrier that people shouldn't have because autism is a, you know, for a lot of us, it's a very positive life-affirming identity that, that we, we claim and we run with. And <laughs> I wouldn't want to take that away from anyone. I think, um, I guess it's, it's just another education thing that, that HR leaders really need to be conscious of that um, autism isn't always a piece of paper. It's, it's a person's brain. It's how they experience the world. It's, it's, how, they, it's how they think and how they feel. And, and it shouldn't matter it's whether or not they've got a formal diagnosis because that formal diagnosis isn't going to tell you anything that that person's lived experience can't. Yeah. There's, there's a, another really good question here um, that you probably all have an opinion on. But let me start with Samantha for this one. Is It says, what's the most common forms of compulsory neuronormality? Um, mm -hmm. Big long word there. Um, presenting workplaces and how can that be tackled? Like what's the, 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 the common forms where you say that's actually going to be trickier for anyone who's not um, neuronormal? Neurotypical. <laughs> neurotypical is better. Oh. Yeah, this is a, a tricky one. I think, um, okay, I'll go with a practical one because uh, there's some social ones. Um, mm -hmm. but, I mean, we're all in meetings and the higher you progress in your organisation, the more likely you not only have to attend the meetings, but you have to participate. And that can be quite a challenge. So um, with that, I think if there's an opportunity to start earlier in your career, understanding what is expected and how is participation expected? And what opportunities are there to contribute in a different way, whether through chat, whether in advance? Um, and I think if, if that is something that you struggle with, you probably have in your mind what would help. So if you feel comfortable where possible, self-advocate and plan and ask, because if you're coming with solutions, the managers or the people who run that are going to be re much likely going to be more um, receptive rather than just presenting the problem. 
Um, that solutions focus in a world that's ever changing is really valued. So if you have the solutions and you probably do, bring them forward, particularly when it comes to, to meetings and input. Yep, yep. I think that's that's a great example of it and sort of using your own voice. Yeah. And you can't always do that. You need a bit of power and feeling confident with it, but it's a good place to start. Um, Ashley, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I mean, I'm very, I'm quite conscious of my privilege um, and I, I came up really, really quickly. So I've sort of learned to use my role um, to advocate as and set a really good example. So because I know that it's really safe for me to say, hey, guys, I'm not turning my camera on today because I don't want to see myself on screen today. And so I'm going to keep my camera off. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really powerful just self-advocating as an example, because it sort of sets the tone for what normal is and it, it challenges it in a way that makes it safe for other people to do the same. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And that's an example when you've got a bit of power, use it to role model. Mm. Use yes. it. Yeah, so I see it as an interesting one because there's significant overlap with the workplace and the general and many challenges that you know I can experience and other people can experience workplace challenges which exist within the community so it might not be about completing a specific work task about engaging in how you do and how was your weekend conversation that happened on the weekend um, and and so some of that is outside of the workplace's control. Um, certainly, you know, advocating for your preferences can help. But until the broader society is more understanding of different ways of communicating, different ways of interacting, then it's not going to flow on into the workplace because it's not just a workplace problem. It's a societal issue. And the question, you know, that you get of, you know, ask an autistic person, how are you? And uh, I mean, a, a lot of people will just freeze because it's well, well, what, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Answer are you look, are you trying to get to? Um, I built a spreadsheet once on all the social nuances um, and ha happy to share it if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, but it's navigating those kind of challenges, which can be, you know, really, really provide barriers to whether it's promotion and colleagues. Here's a here's a really specific one. So it's a person who's coming as a graduate into HR, recently diagnosed autistic person. Um, how can they best start the process of becoming an effective advocate for neurodivergent individuals? Let's start with you, Ashley. Yes, um, I, I went through the same thing when I was diagnosed seven years ago. Um, and what I did was um, Find a, find a way that you feel comfortable in expressing and finding your voice. So it did take, so I, I, have a, I haven't good at writing, so I, I started there. I just started writing about my experiences and, and over time sort of refining and developing my thoughts. And, and I'd also be kind to yourself because the things that I thought were true seven years ago have completely changed <laughs> in my view. Like my, I'd be kind to yourself like because your, your thinking will grow and evolve over time with you and, and that's okay. Um, and, and when we're diagnosed a lot later, um, many of us do have a lot, many many previous years of unpacking to do and and that's okay too that's all part of the journey so i would say just um you know find the find the outlet for your voice that suits you best whether it is writing or videos or something else just find that and just start i guess putting one foot in front of the other and do what feels right for you yeah thank you yeah. Um, 
Jess or Samantha, would either of you like to add into what this person could do as they kick into the career? I would, um, the thing I would add is just to check your own safety. Mm. Look after um, To make sure that it's a safe situation for you at work, that mm. it's a, um, you know, that the workplace disclosing at work you know it, it can be a small deal it can be a big deal for people unfortunately it doesn't always go positively um, and there are ways that you can kind of you know ask for autism acceptance day coming up you know mm. you can you can ask what policies they have in place to support neurodivergent staff um, there are things the environment takes some baby steps and then you can make a decision about whether that's a path that you want to go down um, I think, uh, Rhonda, it was you earlier who mentioned that there can be a lot of passion, but then there can also be a lot of fatigue. Social justice, we want to change the world. But yeah, it can come at a cost. Um, and so to make sure that you're monitoring your own signs, that you're heading towards burnout and uh, making sure that you're not taking on all of the burden yourself, creating that change, because pushing a rock up a hill can be like a really hard thing hard thing to do so find allies within the organization um, speak to people within the HR team find your other your other champions um, so that it can be a, a collective movement and, um, and, and also just for me just you know that that that's so awesome that you're in a position and you're wanting to change things so um thank you and thank you to you know all of the autistic people who are um you know loud voices mm -hmm. shouting out for inclusivity uh, to be able to create you know a better workplaces um the change wouldn't be happening um without you and you know uh like so um we just i'm just to close out we've got one one last question that i'd love all of you to answer and i'm going to start with samantha so the question is um if i'm because we're a very broad audience today so we've got people who are uh, autistic we've got people who are parents or um, friends of people who are autistic we've got people who are in HR we've got people who are running companies um, where's the best place to go to get resources or ideas on how to really step this up so it's not just a programmatic two people on the front of the magazine but it's actually a genuine inclusive workplace genuinely able for people to come in and thrive when they get there um, where's where's the right place to get that sort of information Samantha? Uh, if we're talking about a, a workplace or workplaces, for example, if you're a parent and maybe looking for opportunities for, for your child, looking to assist them, I think HR is a good start. But again, asking um, what's the, how does it currently work? I think Ashley mentioned before, work is a social construct. And it's a yep. great thing to consider and go, so how does the organisation currently support? And that curious questioning to then understand, you know, what are some of the boundaries which can be very helpful to understand what's kind of to, to help you understand what's that hidden curriculum and mm -hmm. unfortunately hidden curriculum so it's hidden um, but you can start to unpack it and understand how it um, can affect you or how it may help you guide and navigate forward in that organization or to help you navigate which one you want to work for uh, yeah. just there are so many adaptable and empathetic leaders out there it's about finding which workplaces they're in and obviously an industry that aligns with, with your, you know, transferable skills. But choose a good employer as well. Good place, In, good work. To interview them as much as they're interviewing you. <laughs> yeah. People do forget that, don't they? They sort of see themselves passive. Mm -hmm. Ashley, would you add to that? 
I would add to that um, when when looking at work as a social construct, um, I would stretch that as far as you can because you maybe you don't need an employer. Maybe you could work for yourself. Um, quite a few of us do, <laughs> and and maybe all, all and and you know because I've done both. I've I've worked for myself and I've worked for other people. Um, some of us prefer structured employment. Some of us prefer freelancing. Some of us want to build our own things. So I think think about what you want start start there start with what you want and then it, find something that matches that and if it doesn't exist build it yeah cool build Thank it you. with someone else but yeah <laughs> make a better made a be- better workplace than the ones you've found um jess what would you say to that adding in at the end oh we've lost your sound again i'm so sorry i can sort of resources just- oh there you are you're back now <laughs> i'll try one more time if you can hear me Yep, we can hear you now. Um, then there are lots of organisations that you can partner with. Um, mm-hmm. Amaze in Victoria is an example of Connect Helpline, which you can call up and seek advice, whether you're an autistic person, whether you're an employer, whether you're a parent, and also lots of resources available. Um, when you are looking at resources, strongly advise that you look for ones which are lived experience-led, um, as well as evidence-informed, because the information out there um, can be quite variable. Um, so often searching for, you know, neuroaffirmative um, resources can be helpful, but organisations like Amaze have often related a lot of this information and have people that you can speak to to, um, to get a advice who understand your circumstances so um yeah definitely recommend reaching out to your your local um you know organization for more information too thank you well on that note i can see that orion is back so i just want to say a huge thank you to ashley samantha and jess for joining today um each of you has such a wealth of experience i'm sure you could easily have sat there and answered all the questions so thank you for sharing this a lot of good ideas and there are a lot of very practical ideas, but also I love the fact there's a lot of optimism about what's possible. And I agree with it. I think at the moment we were in a bit of a moment where people are saying, I reckon we could do better with that construct we call work. Let's make it so it's a whole bunch better for most of us. Thank you very much for joining us and a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Rhonda. Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, in about 10 minutes, Jessica will say thank you as well. We can wait for that. We probably should move on. Uh, and thank you to the Internet of Australia in 2023. How good is the Internet in Australia in 2023? Fantastic. Uh, just a couple of um, uh, points. That, that was just an ex- – I found that uh, a really interesting conversation. Actually, during it, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get AI to tell me a bit about this. So I got chat GPT to tell me about HR. It told me that the HR department plays a critical role in creating a positive work environment and ensuring that employees are able to thrive and grow within their community. Overall, managing autistic employees requires a thoughtful and individualized approach that takes into account the unique needs and strengths of each individual. This is from AI. AI. Uh, HR departments can play a key role in creating a supportive and inclusive workplace environment for autistic people. So that's from ChatGPT. Some uh, great thoughts there. And, and really, that is the core of what HR is. Is it achieving that for autistic people in 2023? Now, you know, we're talking in general terms. Um, I mean, from my experience and the people that I've been around, well, clearly, no, it's a, it's a massive failure for the autistic community. It has not It has very little success and there's lots of work to be done. And I think there's a lot of issues that were brought up, which I think are, are great to hear. I'm so glad that were brought up. Uh, you know, autism can be an excuse. Um, that's how 
that's how employees and HR can view it. Or you're, or you're just using autism as an excuse for that behaviour. You can't behave like that. And then, of course, that filters into the idea of professionalism, with a, which is a a myth. It's a it's a it's it doesn't exist. It's a made up word. There's no meaning behind acting in a professional manner. So then, and that's very hard too when it's judged on neurotypical standards. So some really amazing. Uh, really amazing points. Also, the self-diagnosis was so critical to talk about. This need for paperwork from corporations. So some fantastic points, uh, a lot of notes taken down. And I thought we, there was some really uh, interesting conversations there. And I'm just glad there was uh, you know, a group of people able to um, to really talk openly and honestly and, and working hard to help the autistic community. So uh, that was a fantastic conversation and really do appreciate it, Rhonda, Jessica, Ashley and Samantha. Now, we are at the end of this session. You can provide us some feedback if you'd like via the access tab on the right. We're about to get into another session on small to medium enterprises. You're going to love this one. I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, and uh, we'll talk very soon on that next session. So thank you for being here and I'll see you in just a sec. The 2023 Autism at Work Virtual Summit was proudly sponsored by DXC Technologies, GHT Engineering, La Trobe University, Untapped Group, ANZ, and SAP. Autism CRC is the independent national source of evidence for best practice. For more information on Autism CRC or the Autism at Work Virtual Summit, head to our website, autismcrc.com.au.